Great job, singer. Good morning. You may not remember me. My name's Dave, and I haven't been to a church service here in Auckland in a month, exactly. But I still love the Lord. I still love all you guys. And But it's, it has been exactly a month since I've preached here, so I'm excited about that. Many of us went to Australia for the South Pacific Conference. That was a great time. And we'll see many of you in Orlando, Florida, in the year 2020 for the world what we're saving now to go to Orlando. That'll be fun. We also visited the Panama Conference for a, a really historic time in our global fellowship. If you're not aware of our church, it's International Churches of Christ, so it's, it's globally all across the world, but it's organized regions in, into different regions of families throughout the world as well. We're, our region is the spa region. And so what happened is they had this, in fact, the most inclusive discussion in our global fellowship to date, where 2,500 leaders from all of these regions discussed on how to move our church forward, which was really exciting, but you can imagine that's really difficult as well. If you've ever had a conversation with more than one person, you know that it's difficult to get on the same page. Imagine 2,500 people trying to figure out how to move a global church forward. So it was, it was very fruitful, though, because God really worked and His Spirit was really present, and a lot of great things happened, and a lot of things will continue to happen, and it's really, it's really trying to figure out how to get our global fellowship moving forward, really focused on God and changing the world again. A lot of cool things came out as a result of that. One of those is which the global icon, which you've probably seen on Facebook, or you might have seen it this morning. It's the rotating globe, which is awesome, but that's kind of a flash thing, but some really solid concrete things came out as well about how to move our church forward, how the leadership will be structured, how we'll figure out our finances. I have much, much more to share. If you'd want to know more about that, or if you're interested in that, please let me know, because a lot of great things happen, and I'll be sharing them over the next six months to a year about what we, what we learned, Megan and I, and about how we'll adopt that in Auckland as well, as we really see God moving our hearts in the church as well. So it's not just a, a flash, like it was a great time, it was party, but it's something that really changed our thoughts and minds about God and what we can see happen here in Auckland and New Zealand. So it'll be happening over the next year and a half where we really try to implement all of our learnings. Also want to ask a few people to share, uh, not share, you can't share later, but a few people to stand because we've had a few baptisms since we've all met to, my goodness, that was awesome. Hopefully that, that we can't edit that on Facebook, but you better know that I'm serious and I'm back. So yeah, drop the mic. Okay. Amen. That was a great service. See you next week. Just move that over a little bit over there. Uh, so Denindu was baptized. If you can stand up, bro. Stand up, mate. And Ice was also baptized. There's Ice. Oh, there she is. Back. And also June was baptized. So June is here as well. Welcome to the family. We're excited to have you as our brothers and sisters. One of the things that really stood out to me personally is to really develop a depth to our church here in Auckland. And so after a lot of input and a lot of 
meeting with different church leaders and praying and discussion with Megan, we, we've kind of arrived at a mantra maybe for, for Auckland. It's believe, belong, and become. And I want every, every member to really start to stick this in their head because we want everyone to believe the gospel. That's kind of the first part of it. And that's why we study the Bible people. We want all people to believe the gospel. And then once they become disciples, we want them to belong to community. And it's, it doesn't happen naturally, but it takes some effort. The Holy Spirit, for sure, assists that process. But we want everyone to belong. We want this to feel like your family. I visited my mom and brother back in the U.S., and when I walk in the door of my mom's home, it's like the, the smell, the, the candles, the pumpkin bread. It's just, I belong there, you know? It's home. That's what church should be like. But it doesn't happen naturally. We want everyone to belong. And then we want everyone to become more like Christ. That's the goal, right? Becoming more and more like Christ in your Christian life. And so believe the gospel, belong to community, and become like Jesus. You'll hear more and more about this over the next six months and year. This morning, though, we're back in the book of Acts, chapter 18. If you could turn there, we'll start reading and read some verses and then talk about a couple of things that stand out from this, from this passage. Let's pray together, and then we're going to start reading in Acts, chapter 18, in verse 1. God, we are excited to meet together and to fellowship and break bread and remember our Lord and Savior Jesus. And we're also grateful to, to have these words, that the ancient words really, that do change our minds and hearts to be read out loud this morning. And I pray that they create something in our minds and hearts, that we respond to them in some way, that we hear your voice and we understand what you're trying to say and uh, that, so, so that we can know you better, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Starting in Acts chapter 18, we're going to read verse 1 to 23. And this is something I'm also interested in a little bit. Someone sent me a link about reading the scripture out loud. There's a, there's a podcast about it. We're going to do more of that in our Bible talks as well. It's really cool to just read like 10 minutes of the Bible out loud in a group and not really have a sermon, but just like discuss what did you think. And, and, and so just listen to what's going on here in Acts chapter 18 as we read it out loud and hear it together. Amen. Verse one, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and, and it may be that he searched for them and found them, or he happened upon them accidentally. And either way, he goes to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So while he's there on his own, he's working part-time, and on the weekends, he's a full-time minister, where he goes into the synagogues. And then in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, you got to love the names of these guys in Corinth, right? Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. 
Do not be afraid. So there's an implication there that there is, you, you, you think of Paul as this fearless guy who goes and plants churches and gets knocked down and right, steps back up and goes right back into the city. But there's an implication, he's afraid. And God speaks to him in this vision. And in verse 10, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. Maybe attack, but not attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. It's quite interesting following the verse that just came before this. Nobody's going to attack you. Nobody's going to harm you. Verse 12, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, get out of here. Settle the matter yourselves. I'll not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd was really happy and they said, That's a great idea. <laughs> crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the proconsul. and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. And Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centree because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. I think, I think Paul's learned about God's maneuvering because earlier he's trying to get into different cities and the Spirit stops him and the Spirit stops him. And now he says, hey, I'll come back if it's God's will. I've learned a little bit in my travels. And then he set sail from Ephesus, verse 22, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And this passage concludes his second missionary journey. And then he'll go on and do a little bit of traveling before he begins his third missionary journey. So in the previous few chapters, in fact, in chapter 17, he's just been in Athens and he's preached the word there. But it all starts over on the eastern side in Jerusalem where he goes up to Antioch. Then he starts heading to west to Lystra, Derby, goes up to Philippi. You know, the jailer gets converted. Lydia gets converted. Then he starts going down southwest. He goes to Athens. And now in this passage, he ends up in Corinth, which is the the red circle on the western or the leftern side, the leftern, the, the lectern, goodness gracious, the left side of the screen. And what he does is he plants a church there. He spends his longest time to date in one city, one year and a half. Normally Paul's mode of operation is go plant a church and get kicked out of town. So he doesn't spend much time, but here he gets to spend a year and a half with the church in Corinth. And it seems like they needed it as well, if you've ever read the book of Corinthians. And we can tell that this, this time is really pinned down really accurately because of what's going on of Claudius. He issues this edict that says Jews have to leave Rome. That was around 50 AD. That's a historical document. So we know that Paul ends up in Corinth around 50, 51 AD 
for sure. He was there and he met Priscilla and Aquila there. So that's what's happening. He's finishing his second missionary journey. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the city of Corinth as well, because on the top left, that is the temple of Aphrodite, still there. That's the temple where they would perform prostitution and and sacrifice to that god. And then in the bottom right, that's the temple of Apollo, the sun god. So Corinth was this city that is very religious, but in a wrong, in a wild way, okay? And so I, I always, people here say, oh, I can't stand going to my work. It's so worldly. Well, go to flat out Corinth. You know, Paul goes to Corinth and he's, I mean, these, this is, this is crazy stuff that's going on here in Corinth, but he chooses this place to spread the gospel. It doesn't matter what it's like. He goes there because all people need the gospel. And so it's this mixture of pagan religion, a lot of sexuality. And then Paul goes in there and says, these people need the gospel gospel. That's where we find ourselves this morning. I'd like to talk about two things. First of all is the bigger picture. I think we all need to have a bigger picture personally and as a church. And there's a few events in this passage that illustrate this. First of all, it's it's Priscilla and Aquila leaving Rome. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then Gallio's ruling in verse 12 through 16. And then when Paul leaves the synagogue in verses 6 through 8. But if you look at these events, if you look at them in an isolated manner, you can kind of think what's going on. Or if you were to experience these things in an isolated manner without looking at the big picture, there's reason to believe you could become critical or weary or cynical or something of that nature. So Priscilla and Aquila in verses 1 through 3, they're, they're Jews who leave Rome and they get kicked out of Rome because of Claudius. And that's a historical document of that edict where it says, since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the, at the instigation of Christus, the Latin version of Christ, he expelled them from Rome. So in Rome at 50 AD, that's 17 years after Jesus' death, the gospel had spread to Rome. And how did it do so? We don't really know, but perhaps Priscilla and Aquila had something to do with that. Because the gospel is in Rome, and it's causing enough of a stir where Claudius says, I'm tired of these Christians, I'm expelling Jews from Rome. And he kicks them out. And that's quite, it says he was commanded, they were commanded to leave in verse 2. Now being told to leave your residence is one thing, right? Because there's a lot of immigration coming in to, to Corinth, but this is, there's a lot of immigration in New Zealand, right? Net, net immigration of 7,200, 72,000 I think, so I don't know what it is, there's seven in there, 7,200, 72,000. But the, but the real thing is, nobody was kicked out because they were a Christian, Everybody moved to this country for a different reason. No one said, you got to go, you're Christian, you got to leave your home. Nobody said that, unless I'm wrong here. I mean, so these guys, they say, because you're Christian, you have to leave Rome, but they carry their faith to Corinth. These microphones are really annoying. They carry their faith, and, they, and, and because of this, they get to meet Paul, they work with Paul, they see Paul preach and teach, and then they go on and do the ministry in Ephesus. So we're going to talk about that. And then also, Gal- Gallio's ruling in verse 12 through 16. If you're interested in history, there's a figure named Seneca from Rome who's a famous philosopher, and he's the older brother of Seneca. So this is all deep, deeply rooted in history, and, and Seneca in verse, or Gallio in verse 12 through 16, he hears this matter 
matter. And they come into the synagogue and Paul's getting ready to defend himself. And he says, don't even speak. This all is irrelevant. This has to do with you, your law and your stuff. You guys get out of here. This doesn't pertain to us. And if that guy gets beat down right in front of me, that's no problem to me. This doesn't concern me. All right. And that kind of sounds like a harsh ruling in this sense. But, but what happens is this incident sets a precedent for future Roman rulings. Basically, they say, you guys can talk about Christianity and, and we're not going to do anything about it. You can, you can be free to talk about it because it doesn't really pertain to us. It's about your law and your customs. And that go, they, so that, that, that allows them to speak and preach freely for the next 10 or 11 years without any hindrance. So this is a big deal when he rules this. And then lastly, when Paul leaves the synagogue in verses 6 through 8, he says something that probably sounds harsh to our ears. It's rooted in Ezekiel 33 based on this idea of a watchman. But they oppose Paul and they become abusive. And then he says, hey, I'm done. Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. In other words, I've tried to help you appreciate the gospel. I've tried to get you to understand it. But you don't appreciate it. You're on your own. I'm out of here. And I think that it almost sounds harsh because we always, I think we always overestimate people's openness sometimes. We cling to people and Paul says, these guys are not appreciating the gospel. I'm going somewhere else. And in fact, I'll just go next door and praise God. He does because that whole household believes after that happens. But if you look at these in, in, in an isolated instance, the Priscilla and Aquila leaving Rome, Gallio's ruling, and then leaving the synagogue, there, you can kind of say, if you were Priscilla and Aquila, hey, that's really unfair. You caused us to leave Rome because we're Christian. And you can come to Corinth, and you, when you come to church, you say, hey, how's it going? And say, man, we just got kicked out of Rome because we're Christian. But they come and they work with Paul. There's no complaint. They carry their faith to Corinth, and then they go on and work in Ephesus. And then you can look at Gallio's ruling and say, man, this, that's unfair how it all went down. This guy gets beat. Paul gets kicked out of the synagogue. But it sets the precedent for the gospel to be preached freely. And you can say, oh, you know, it's, Paul could be discouraged. I have to leave the synagogue. But he leaves the synagogue, goes right next door, and baptizes an entire house. And I, and I think that each of these things in isolation kind of seem weird. But if you look at the bigger picture, you see that God always has a sovereign plan. There's something bigger going on. It's similar to when you read a book or when you watch a movie. No one reads a few pages, closes the book, and says, I've got an understanding of the book now. No one watches a few clips of a movie and says, I've got the overall theme of the movie. You read the entire book, you watch the entire movie so you can get the entire picture. By the way, that on the top left, if you type in man reading a book, that comes up and it actually says handsome man reading a book. <laughs> As a side note. And if you Google man watching a movie, the bottom right comes up and it says happy man watching a movie. So you've got a happy and a handsome man. But the idea is that... It, the same thing is true of our Christianity. If you look at our isolated events that happen throughout of our life, there's, there's a lot of potential to become weary or numb or negative. But if you look at the bigger picture and see what God does, it makes a lot more sense. 
I think this has a lot of implications because, you know, we all make these decisions on our daily life and think this may not have an effect, this may have an impact, or raising our kids may seem like, ah, it's just in the moment, it's just so challenging, or going to work and trying to figure out your career, or problems, or plans you make or don't make, and if you look at each of those kind of in isolation, you just get frustrated. What's going on? Why did I get kicked out of Rome? Why is this happening? What are you trying to teach me? However, if you can see the bigger picture, it allows kind of a security to develop. Because you see, God has this plan. And the Bible, if you read the Bible from cover to cover, it says something else is happening. It's not just these little dots throughout your life, but there's something bigger going on. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 has this to say. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. You may look at your Christian life and think, man, it's difficult. It has highs and lows and mediums and etc. But the bigger picture, the Bible says that this work will be completed. You will be fully formed. You will have Jesus inside of you fully formed and complete. That is happening. That's the bigger picture. And you may think, oh, church life, you know, my small group, I don't really get along with people, or I, don't, I feel obligated, or I feel obligated to come to church, or I have these weird interactions with people, or whatever. And, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, that we're all being transformed from one set of glory to another. So all these isolated things may be happening, but the bigger picture says God is doing something in your character and our character and the character of the church. I think it happens with our plans at church is what's going on today? A month away, man. Not good. You got to stay sharp. It's all part of the bigger picture. I'm trying. There's the handsome man. Uh huh. All right. There we go. So, in, in the bigger picture of the church, too, I think that I, one thing is we did this weekend, we volunteered, right, for, I don't know. 20, 21 hours, I think. And it was awesome. I want to lift up everybody that came out. There was teens, there were families, and everybody, I mean, we, we were having a great time. I, people were looking around, and people were doing the wave, I, and Carlos was grandly gesturing people different ways. And, but it was a really cool event, but if you look at that thing and say, that, that's just a one-off thing, that, that's really not the right perspective. The bigger picture is, we raised over $1,000 for our church plan in Wellington in a few years. And everybody pitched in. It's like, when we plant the church, the the, the team would say, hey, I help contribute. I help plant that church. There's a bigger picture involved. God is interested in the long game. He's not interested in these just tiny little instances, but there's a bigger picture that God is doing in our lives, and He wants the best possible outcome. The second thing that I want to talk about this morning, and finally, is this idea of strengthening. Come on, bro. Look at verse 23. This is when Paul concludes his second missionary journey. He goes back to Antioch, and then he spent some time there. And then he set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so he's not just content with baptizing and converting and planting churches. What he does is this is a habit of Paul's. 
He does it in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. It uses that same word. He goes around and he strengthens the churches he's just planted. In chapter 15, verse 41, the exact same thing happens. He goes and he plants churches and he uses that same word. He does a little circuit of those churches and he strengthens them. It's also used of Judas and Silas in chapter 15, verse 32. And it's, it's the Greek word episterizo, which, which really means to just be grounded, to be solid, and to be firm. So that's what Paul is doing. He's going around and he's meeting the churches and he's helping them get strong. If you look in the, the Greek literature, it's often used in medical accounts. When somebody is ill, a doctor comes and gives them medicine and helps them get strong, helps them get grounded. That's strengthening. That's what Paul is doing as he travels these circuits. In other words, Paul doesn't just have a habit of going to the synagogue, preaching and leaving, but he also has a deep conviction. People need to be strengthened. People need to be grounded. People need to be firm. People need to be followed up with. That's the overall idea. This is Paul's follow-up study. He just goes around and around strengthening all of the churches. And that's, that's, that's awesome because it's not just a one lopsided ministry. He's, he's presenting the whole picture of Christ, helping everyone to get strong. Now, what is this here? You guys know what that is? That is a Rubik's Cube. Now, how many of you have ever used one of those? How many of you have ever have taken the stickers off and tried to... Yeah, I knew you did, Walter. But when you see this Rubik's Cube, what's the first thing that you think? Frustration. You, you see frustration. Okay. This stinking Rubik's Cube. What else does somebody see on there? A puzzle, a challenge. Now I think, you know, and then what's the next steps? You start to maneuver it around, and, and then finally, if, unless you take the stickers off, at some point you can end up and say, I've solved the Rubik's Cube, and once everything is in its correct place. But it's not to be looked at and say, man, what are all these stickers doing in the wrong place? What's going on, right? But, but instead, you kind of work with it. You kind of, okay, this is how it is. Suppose I turn this here. Oh, that worked. Suppose we turn this here. Perhaps if I do this one. And in the end, there's, there's the problem is solved. And I think this is, 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 is connected to what Paul is doing when he goes around strengthening. He doesn't come to the church and say, why are you guys so stinking whatever? He meets them where they are and he strengthens them. He sees how they can improve. He sees who they can become in Christ. And he starts to strengthen them. And I think this is a, a natural lean toward many, many people. May not everybody. But most people see frustration. They see the problem. I think our culture. I think our church culture. Me include. I think we can see the problem very clearly. And I notice that in my, my counseling times and discipling times, one of the things I'm trying to do is locate the problem instead of trying to find the strengthening solution. Maybe you do likewise. But what Paul does, he has this big view of, I'm going to meet people where they are. Suppose you do this. Suppose I tweak this. Suppose we turn it this way. You have Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the fellowship. You have the Bible. What if we do a few tweaks? What if we do this? Boom! You're getting strengthened. I think we have a long way to go in our church concerning this culture. If you're like me, every time I, I, I'm, I can... okay. The, 
When I had the time with somebody, my first question was, well, why did you do that? Not, well, what if we tweak it this way to figure out how to get you more strong? Does that make sense? Perhaps that's you, perhaps it's not. But I, I do feel like that there is some of that in our church. And, and I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to start, start thinking about, let's, let's learn how to strengthen people. That's what the whole idea of becoming is. Believe, belong, and become. Where we start to learn how to become more like Christ by focusing on solutions. By pointing people to Jesus. Not to leadership, not to structure, but to Jesus. And say, perhaps if you tweak this, and suppose you do this, you'll be strengthened. That's what Paul is doing as he goes around on his missionary journeys. I think there's those two different approaches. When you see a problem, it puts you on a platform to say, well, you're obviously broken and I need to fix you. But when you're you're focusing on the solution, you, you, you say, well, how can I point this person to Jesus? How can I help this person get encouraged? I don't want to overlook or ignore the problems. I want to admit them, but I want to point them to Jesus so that they can be strengthened. I don't want their weakness to be a focal point. I want it just to be another fact and pointing people to Jesus and helping them get strong. I think we all have a lot, a lot to learn in this area about meeting people where they are and helping them get strong. Instead of just focusing on what's wrong with people. And the fruit of strengthening each other is that people start actually becoming who they're meant to be in Christ. Because I've noticed this in myself, and perhaps you've noticed it, but there can be a dynamic where somebody comes to the leader, or you go to your Bible talk leader, or the Bible talk leader comes to us, and we have a discussion, we try to figure out the problem, and they just think if we go to the leadership, it'll work. But that's not really strengthening people. That's just a funnel that gets built up and eventually comes to us. But strengthening is when you actually start to point people to Jesus, and they rely less... Leadership and structure is good, by the way. I'm not saying anarchy reigns and let's go for broke. I'm saying let's learn how to strengthen each other so we don't have to rely on each other and, 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 and figure out everybody's problems, but figure out how to point people to Jesus. It's similar to Paul. He's, he just and, he, and you can see it in his writings when he goes to the churches. Here's who you should be in Christ. And here's how we're going to get you there. Here's who you should be in Christ. And here's how we're going to get you there. It empowers one another for a more powerful trajectory. If, if you sit with somebody and you strengthen them, then they feel equipped to move on and become more like Jesus. If you sit with someone and they tell you what the problem is, they walk away discouraged and in a cycle. And Paul has this habit of strengthening the churches. And I want us to all believe that we can be strengthened and we can strengthen one another as well. Amen? Amen. To conclude this morning, to gain the bigger picture, it's essential to step back and see God's plan of putting everything together. It's helpful to have a Sabbath every once in a while to just reflect on what God is doing in your life. Get away from the busyness and see what is God doing. I'm excited for the bigger picture of our church as well. I have a tendency to look at the little tiny things isolated, but I want to step back and see the bigger picture of what God is doing in our church. I'm excited to strengthen one another as well. I'm excited to learn to empower you and for you to empower somebody else how to become more like Christ and how we all learn doing that together. And so let us all look with an eye to the bigger picture of God. Let us all strengthen one another and allow God and His Holy Spirit to carry out the work here in Auckland and New Zealand. Amen.